0: This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus' disciples ask him a question. They ask him, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? Will you teach us to pray? And I'm thankful that he answered that question. All right, so that's clear in Luke chapter 11, it's sort of a shorter version of what is traditionally called the Lord's Prayer. Now, in Matthew 6, where we'll be camping out for the next weeks, there's a longer version of the Lord's Prayer. But it's the same idea. It is, Lord, how should we pray? What is the pattern by which you would like us to pray? And the way Jesus says it in Matthew 6, which we'll see in a moment when we read the scripture, is he says, pray like this. Or you could say pray in similar ways to this. In this pattern of prayer, many have identified categories, they call them, or movements to the prayer. And so really, our weeks will be following the natural movements that are in the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter 6. My hope for this series is not mainly that we would get a theology of prayer It's not mainly even that we would have a sort of how to guide or be reminded of how to pray. But honestly, in choosing the series, my hope for me and for you is that by hearing the priorities of Jesus, that our priorities in prayer and our vision for the Christian life would be shaped more in terms of Jesus' priorities. That our vision of the Christian life and therefore our prayers would be more shaped by Jesus's priorities. Because honestly, when we audit our own prayers, our priorities become very clear. And so my hope is that we will become better prayers. But at the core of what I want to see happen and what my prayer is, is that our priorities would be shaped in such a way where we would know and delight in God more at the end of the series than we do now. So before we read the passage, I want us to stand and ask God to shine his light by his Holy Spirit into our heart and illuminate our hearts. So please stand and read with me this corporate prayer of illumination. Let's read together. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit That in your light, we may see light. In your truth, find freedom. And in your will, discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This morning's scripture reading is from the gospel according to Matthew. Chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. This is Jesus speaking. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. God. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> so I mentioned this already, but it really is true. I, I want to be a better prayer. And I want you to be a better prayer. And it's not only because I'm a pastor or your pastor that I want all of us to become better prayers It's because as your brother in Christ, I want us all to experience God's love for us more deeply. I want all of us to experience a deeper and richer purpose for our own lives. I want all of us to be more unified, to be more loving, to be more joyful, to be more hopeful, to be more caring, to be more godly. And the key to all of those things and more is prayer. That's the key. It may sound interesting to say it that way. And it may sound radical, but it's not as radical as it sounds. When I say the key to the Christian life, the key to all of those things is prayer. Think about it. We read it in our call to worship. We celebrate it every Sunday. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came at the appointed time. To live the life we all should have lived, to die the death we all deserve to die in order to reconcile us to God. Reconcile. Reconcile is fundamentally a relationship word. And so if we are meant to be in relationship with God, how will we grow that relationship? How will we grow that knowledge? How will we experience God's love for us more? The answer has to be prayer. A theological way to say it is communing with God. And when theologians talk about communing with God, the first step is that God came to us. And then as we recognize God came to us, we respond to God. That is communing. And then the center of communing is prayer. Now, if you're like me, this is a bit troubling because I don't feel like I'm a good prayer. And so... The whole purpose of the Christian life is to know God, to grow, because we've been reconciled to God. What does that mean if we're not a good prayer? What what does that mean if we don't feel confident in our prayer life? What does that mean if we don't feel effective in our prayer life or fulfilled in our prayer life? Well, I have good news for you. Even the disciples who walked with Jesus felt the exact same way, which is why in Luke 11, they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. So this morning, all of us in our heart probably are saying, I, I want to learn how to pray better. I want to be more fulfilled in my prayer life. I want to ask Jesus, will you teach us to pray? And thankfully he did. And we have this patterned prayer called the Lord's Prayer. And the reality is, is that every single one of us needs our prayer life to be shaped and reshaped constantly by this pattern. We need our priorities in prayer and our priorities and vision for our own life to be shaped and reshaped by the Lord's priorities and by the Lord's pattern prayer. Now, today is the beginning of this series, and my hope is to take us to the very first line of the prayer, which is our Father in heaven. That's where we're going to land because that is the paradigm for all praying. That is the paradigm for all prayer. That's where we must start, which is why Jesus starts there. And we'll talk about that. But before we get to the paradigm for prayer, I want us to observe two truths that Jesus speaks to in terms of prayer. In a sense, it's sort of like his preliminary content, his preliminary comments that he must speak to before he gives the pattern prayer. So the first truth that I want us to observe together before we get to the paradigm of prayer Is the purpose of prayer. And it's this. The purpose of prayer is relationship. The purpose of prayer is relationship. So I said it this way. The purpose of prayer is communion with God. Or more basically. Relationship with God. Listen. We see this that Jesus assumes his disciples are going to pray. He assumes that much. Right? That's what he says. Verse 5. And when you pray. Verse 6. But when you pray. Verse 7. And when you pray. Verse eight, pray then like this. Jesus assumes we're going to pray, but then he says something so amazing. Look with me here in verse eight, the second half. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So what is the purpose of prayer? What is the purpose of prayer if our father already knows what we need before we ask him? You see, Jesus is getting at a very important assumption, but a false assumption that many in his audience assumed. And that is the purpose of prayer was to tell God what you need. Now, listen, telling God what you need is clearly a part of prayer. Even arguing with God, we'll see, is a part of prayer. It's right here. We'll get to it later. For example, in weeks to come, whenever we ask God, give us this day, our daily bread, he's talking about material and physical needs. And we'll talk about that. So asking God for what we need is a part of prayer, but it's not the purpose of prayer. Otherwise we'd be saying God is ignorant. God doesn't know what we need, which is what the Gentiles thought. And it's how the hypocrites treated him. You see, you see the purpose of prayer must be Relationship. And a relationship is two ways, right? God has spoken to us in His Word. God has spoken to us in His Word. And ordinarily, when we think about God's Word and we speak to God our desires, we tell Him what we need, we tell Him why we need them, we tell Him our troubles, we confess our sin. As we do that, we meditate on God's Word to us. That's what CBR is, for example. We pray that God would shine His light in our hearts. And then we, we pour out our desire as we praise God and confess sin and thank him for what Jesus has done. And ordinarily, as we reflect in our crying out to him on his words and principles of his word in the Bible, his Holy Spirit crystallizes thoughts and ideas and truth in our hearts and minds. As we pray, as we meditate, there is a two-way relationship. Of course, God knows what we need. But that's not the purpose in coming to him and telling him. Now, for some of us, that is so confusing. And it certainly is mysterious. And as I was thinking this week, how does this play out in, in my life? How, what is some way that I can get my tiny brain around this enough to try to communicate this reality, this glorious reality to you this morning? And I thought about this analogy and all analogies break down. So bear with me, but I have a two year old daughter and her name is Scarlet and Scarlet loves to eat. And when she eats, she also apparently loves to get it everywhere or on her mouth and face and hands and floor and bib, you name it, it's everywhere. And after she eats, oftentimes when I'm home, she will look at me and she'll say, daddy, messy. Messy. And what she means by that is, please clean me off. That's what she means. She says messy and she means clean me off. Now, listen, when she says messy, she's not telling me anything I don't know already. I see her face. I see her hands. I know that she needs me to clean her off. So in doing this, she's not informing me of something I don't already know. She's not informing me of anything I don't know. She's not informing me as though I'm hesitant to clean her off because honestly, I don't want stuff all over the house. So before I let her down, I'm going to clean her off. But what she's doing and telling me something that I already know is she is admitting to me her need. She's coming to me and she's saying, I have a problem. You're the only one that can help me. In fact, I can't even get myself out of this chair unless you do it. So by her coming to me, she's not convincing me because I'm hesitant. She's not informing me because I'm ignorant. She's coming to me because I'm her father. And and she's thankful. And I love cleaning her off. I love getting her down. I love hugging her every time I do that. And what happens? What's the point? The point is that she needs me. The point is that she's dependent on me and she expresses that to me. And our relationship grows. You see, it's very similar in our need in praying, admitting our need to our Lord. We are saying, God, we need you. I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to provide for me. The point is relationship with a father. Now, why is this so hard for us? Right? Why, still, why is prayer so hard? That sounds easy. I want God to clean me off. I want God to help me. Why is it so hard? It's hard because of sin. You see, the purpose of prayer is relationship. You realize that sin interrupts that relationship, right? That when sin comes, our relationship with the father is interrupted. And so it is, in a sense, we are always needing remediation. We are always needing help. We cannot enter into that relationship on our own. And what happens, and this is the second truth of prayer Is that oftentimes we divorce or remove prayer from relationship. We use prayer for something else rather than relationship. And Jesus points to this. He points to the pitfalls of prayer. So first, the purpose of prayer is relationship. And the second truth that we observe is this, is that the pitfalls of prayer miss the relationship. The pitfalls of prayer miss the relationship. Listen, listen here. Jesus speaks of two pitfalls in prayer because he speaks of two different people, right? We read about them. The way we pray reveals who we believe God to be. The way we pray reveals, us, reveals to us who we believe God to be. It shows us what kind of person we think God is. It shows us what we think pleases him or what we think he expects of us. However you pray, You're assuming something about God. You're presuming something about the way he leans in to your relationship. So who do we see first? Who does Jesus speak to first? He speaks first to the hypocrites, right? What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is someone who wears a mask in order to get what they want. And in this case, Jesus says the hypocrites pray to try to please man. The hypocrites pray to try to impress man. And then he tells us the Gentiles pray to try to impress God. So which one are you? When you fall into a pitfall, when you remove your relationship with God from your context of prayer, which one do you lean towards? Do you lean towards trying to impress others with your prayers? Or do you lean towards trying to impress man with your prayers? Let's read this about the hypocrites. Verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They've received the reward. What are they trying to do? Well, really, in their prayer, they're trying to use God as a stepping stool to get what they really want, which is the approval of man. You see, their identity is such that they are lost for their identity. And so they look around and they say, how can I use God as a stepping stone by wearing this mask of piety when really I'm insulting God by trying to impress others with my prayers? Now, if you're like me, sometimes you read a book and you get to the end of the page and you realize you read the words, but you have no idea what you read. Have You ever experienced that? Now, maybe some of you are also like me and that when you're praying to God, sometimes you pray and you have no idea what you just said. You were saying words and you were sure that you were saying words. And in that case, you're like the Gentiles, right? You think that if I just say the right words or if I say more words, then somehow I can please God with them. Sometimes when I pray, I'm like the hypocrites because I realized, wow, so I was speaking at God, but I think I was speaking to everyone else in the room. So I think I was like generally hurling words towards God, but I was really trying to speak to the people in the room. Now, of course, we wanna account for the people in the room. I mean, when I pray with my children, I pray differently than when I pray with my wife. And it's not because I'm most of the time trying to impress my wife, it's because I want her to be able to pray with me in the same way with my kids. So that's a good thing. But when I'm praying for the sake of the people in the group, that they would look at me and say, wow, he is a good prayer. That's a problem. And that's what the hypocrites are doing. They're praying to use God because they've divorced prayer from relationship with him. Now, when when I've tried to think about how I am like the Gentiles and heaping up words, what are some of your favorite phrases? Right. If you've been a Christian for two weeks, you use phrases like holiness. What does holy mean? If all of us had a single piece of paper and I said, define holy, we probably would all write something differently, but it sounds like a good phrase. So we use it in prayer, don't we? What about the kingdom of God? We'll talk about that. What is the kingdom of God? Those are good phrases though, aren't they? And we, sometimes we think if I can use more phrases, then my prayer might be better in God's eyes. And so the Gentiles are praying as though God is like you're a college professor, right? What do you do when you get a syllabus? You look at the final paper and you look at the page requirement. You don't care what it's for. You don't think about what you're going to learn. Well, me anyway. I didn't think about these things when I was in college or high school. What I thought about is how much can I mess with the margins and the font so that I can hit the page requirement? Right, it's all about volume. That's as though God is listening to our prayers with a rubric. You know what a rubric is, right? A rubric is is the definition of what is a good paper. And so it's as though God is saying, "This is what makes up a good prayer." And because He's God and He can do two things at once, right? He's he's listening to that, and he's got a clicker, and he's counting how many words you say, and he's listening. And until you hit a certain length of time or a certain amount of words, that's when he starts listening to you. That's when it counts, right? These are pitfalls of prayer when we remove them from relationship. We think that with our prayer, we can impress other people or we can impress God. You you don't do that? You don't do that? I tell you this. I do that a lot, which is one of the reasons why I want to be a better prayer. Because that's not fulfilling. And the reason that's not fulfilling is because that's not the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is not to impress people. The purpose of prayer is not to impress God. The purpose of prayer is is relationship with God. So in this series, before we can get to Jesus's pattern prayer, we have to do what Jesus did, which is deal with those two truths. One, prayer is about relationship. Two, when we remove uh, prayer from relationship, we run into pitfalls because prayer stops being about relationship and it starts being about fulfilling our own identity and appeasing God or man. So now we can get to the first line of the prayer. Now we can get to the paradigm for prayer. And that is this. The paradigm of prayer is that God is our father. The paradigm for prayer or of prayer defines the relationship itself. Why does Jesus start the prayer with our father in heaven? Have you ever thought about that? What does that mean that he starts the prayer with our father in heaven? I think he starts the prayer this way in order to give us the right orientation and motivation for everything that follows in the prayer. He starts with our father to give us the right orientation and motivation for everything that follows in the prayer. When you pray, When I pray, we're assuming something about who God is. And Jesus wants us to know our prayers are not worth anything unless we understand that God is our father who's in heaven. Luther said it this way. Martin Luther, a Reformation theologian, he said that it's as though God must remind us over and over who he is in order for our hearts to be filled up with who he is so we're not afraid in coming to him. That's my paraphrase of Luther. If you try to look that up, I don't know where you'll find it. But that's what Luther's ministry was all about. And he taught that that's what the Lord's pattern prayer is all about in its beginning. That if we come to God in any other way, than acknowledging that he's our father. Our prayer will not be fulfilling. Our prayer life will not be effective. And our prayer life will not change us. This word father, people who know language better than me and better than most of you will say, this word father is so important. Both in Greek and Aramaic, this word is used by children to their father but also by adults to their father. So sometimes I've heard people say, this is like daddy. I'm less and less convinced that that's a good analogy. Um, Unless you call your grown parent daddy. And if in that sense, then go ahead. But most people don't. But what we do is we have some word, like in the South. My wife does this, for example, and I've heard other people do this. You may say mama or papa, and you may call your mother mama when you're a child, and you may call her mama when you're an adult. But the point is, is that you come to her in the context of a relationship where she's your loving and caring parent. That's the purpose. And that's the point. And to us, this may not seem like a big deal. But in the context of this, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal that Jesus would tell us to call father, father. And not simply God or Lord, which of course is true. But that's not what defines a Christian's relationship with God. It is the relationship of father to a child. So Jesus is saying, God hears you because he is your father and for no other reason. I want to say that again. If you're zoomed, if you're, if you're zoned out, that's fine. But zone back in for a second, because this actually is the point of the paradigm for prayer. God will not, does not, and does not care to hear your prayer for any reason, except that in Jesus Christ, he is your father. doesn't matter what you say. doesn't matter how good you are. Even if you're good at being good, God hears your prayer because in Jesus Christ, he is your father, but he's not just your father. He's your father in heaven, our father in heaven. What's that about? It's not just about where he is. It's about what it means that he's there. And the fact that he's in heaven <clears throat> means he's king. The fact that he's in heaven means that he can actually do something. So you don't just come to him because he's your father and he loves you. You come to him because he's your father who loves you. And he can actually answer your prayer because he's God. And when we pray, when we get into the Lord's pattern prayer in the weeks that come, we must always start with the fact that God is our father and that he is powerful. That God is our father and he can actually do something. Why else would you want him to be the most holy thing in your life, for example? How would be your name? Who cares if God's not God? Why else would you ask God to provide for your daily bread unless he's your father who can actually do something about it? So Jesus starts us here by saying the paradigm for prayer is that you in me are a child of God. So if we are Christians and we trust in Jesus's life and in Jesus's death, we should never fear that God will not hear our prayer. No matter how good a prayer we think we are, no matter where we want our prayer life to be, if you are in Christ, God is your father and he hears your prayer. Now, how can we be sure? How can we be really sure that God hears every prayer of ours? What do you you say to that? What do you say? Now, I'm not the first one who has said this. Let's read again our call to worship. I'm going to read it out loud. How did you become a child of God? You're not a child of God just because you're a person in the world. God has to adopt you into his family. Right? We understand this. We understand just because we have a biological father who brought us into this world doesn't mean that he fathers us. Right? That adoption is a legal reality. It was then and it is now. So If we adopt someone or if we are adopted, it means legally everything that is theirs is now ours. So if we're adopted by someone with great wealth, after we're adopted, all of that wealth is ours by law. We are a part of the family just as much as a biological child is as part of that family. And so in Jesus We have been adopted into God's family. And so as we pray, we must know that we are heirs to everything that Jesus is heir to. That everything that is Jesus is counted as ours. That would be his righteousness. That would be his life, his death. Everything when we're adopted into God's family as his children becomes ours. And on the cross, when Jesus cried out in prayer to the father for the first time that we see in the New Testament, he didn't say, my father, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, you and I can be sure that God hears our prayers because in that moment, he rejected Jesus' prayer. In that moment, God did not hear Jesus' prayer. So that he would hear our prayer. In that moment. God rejected Jesus. To adopt us into his family. And so as we move forward. Right after this when we pray. And as you move forward in praying this week. And as we move forward. In this sermon series on the pattern prayer. We have to start with this reality. This paradigm. That when we pray. We start with our father in heaven. Because because of Jesus We are children of God and our father hears us and our father is powerful. And when that reality increasingly sinks into our hearts and minds, it will change us. And our prayer life will become more fulfilling. Our prayer life will become more effective. Our prayer life will become more satisfying. We will understand ourselves better. We will experience a deeper mission and purpose in our life. We will have more unity. We will have more love for one another because all of those things flow from God and Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, you lavish your love upon us. And as we confessed earlier, we doubt that because we think we have to earn your favor by other people's approval. And we think we have to earn your favor by the amount of words we pray and the length of time that we pray. Father, we're so thankful that because we're your children, you know what we need. Because we are your children, you hear us. And because you are a king and God of the universe, you have power to come to our aid. You have power to change us. So we pray now as we continue in worship that we would experience your sweet love, <clears throat> that our hearts would be awakened to your love for us, that our prayers would be more confident, that our prayers would be more fulfilling, that our prayers would be filled with more joy. In Jesus' name.